0: Father in heaven, we thank you so much, Lord. It's been a beautiful Sabbath day. Our minds were fixed on heavenly things. And truly, Lord, you promised us an eternity of even a higher experience than what we've had today. But Lord, we have to first make it through these dark scenes here on this earth. And there's an experience that you want us to have that can enable us to make it through these closing scenes. And so, dear God, I'm praying that you will please grant me the power of your Holy Spirit please forgive us, we pray, of our sins and grant the articulation of your truth in such a way that it will not simply reach the mind but it will reach the very being and that truly mental, physical, spiritual all will be uplifted as we receive your truth in our hearts and climb upon higher ground. Lord, I thank you so much for the privilege to share your word with others and I pray that while you'll bless them please don't pass me by Help me to get a fresh revelation of Jesus and His truth as we seek to understand it from Your Holy Word. And so truly grant us Your Spirit and open our eyes and help us behold wondrous things out of Your law. Is our prayer that we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's turn our Bibles to the book of Revelation, the 14th chapter. In Revelation, the 14th chapter, we find the blessed herald Of the three angels. And we learned last night that this is the mighty cleaver of truth that God has given to us as a body of believers. That if we receive it in our hearts, it has power to sanctify the soul as well as to prepare a people to meet their God. And so it is that when we look at Revelation 14, we will notice that the Bible says something about the third angel's message that I want us to look at because we learn that last night, our whole purpose of existence is to fulfill two words. Who remembers what those two words were? The two words that sums up the movement of seven-day Adventists. What were those two words? Prophesy, prophesy again. Amen. And we learn that that is exactly why we exist. We exist to prophesy again. And we learn that that word again can mean to repeat the message once more, but also furthermore. And we know that the once more was that we had to repeat the what angels' messages? First and second. But when we repeat the first angels' message, we are going to do it with the correct what? Understanding. Amen. You remember that. And then when we repeat the second angels' message, we are going to highlight the corruptions that was taking place in Babylon and united with the third angel's message. Now, when we understand these points, this is why when we started to look at the third angel, which was the furthermore, we started to look at it and notice that we had to not only preach it and understand it, but also demonstrate it. And in that demonstration, I want you to see how the Bible articulates it in Revelation 14, 9 through 12. So we're in Revelation 14, verses 9 through 12, and the Bible says... And the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice. If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receives the mark of his name. Verses 9 to 11 of Revelation 14 constitutes what we call the warning. When you think of the third angel's message, there is a portion of the message that literally is summed up as a warning. It is a warning that's being given. If you do this, this is what will happen. You see that? Very clear. If any man worship the beast in his image, receive his mark and his forwarder in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out. And it begins to go down the Warning. So when you think of the third angel's message, it is a message of warning. And we are to give that message with very clear tones. It is not to be confused. It is to be very straight so that it can be understood even by a child. God wants us to give the warning. But brothers and sisters, it is imperative that we have more than just a warning. A warning in and of itself does not save people. You can warn people about a lot of things, but if you don't point out the refuge, then after a while, that warning can become sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. And this is not what God wants. He doesn't want the warning to lose power. And that's why we need verse 12. Verse 12 points out the experience that we need based on the warning. So in Revelation 14 in verse 12, the Bible says, here is the patience of the saints. So that's the first step right there. You and I must understand that we need to learn to become patient people. And if you know that you are very impatient, you are already forfeiting the experience of the third angel's message. Because these people are very long suffering. That's another term for patient. They are very, very long suffering. They know how to suffer long and they do it without murmuring or without complaining Don't ever forget 1 Corinthians 10. Literally, the Bible shows that when we begin to murmur and complain, it can literally cause our destruction. The Bible says thousands of the children of Israel were destroyed as a result of murmuring. So one of the things that I love about the experience of the third angel is that it calls us to be patient people. We know how to suffer long. But in addition to that, it goes on, doesn't it? It says here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that do what? Keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now, that's another portion of the verses we need to understand. Not only are they going to be a patient group or a group of long suffering individuals, but they are also going to be those who keep or guard, protect God's commandments. Now, we need to understand exactly what God's commandments are from the Bible. So let's go to Psalms 119. If we go to Psalms, the 119th division, we will understand what the commandments of God are on a bit of a deeper level. And I want you to see what the Bible says as we look at Psalms, the 119th division, and I want you to see what it says in verse 172. Psalms one nineteen and 172. We're talking about this group of saints, this long-suffering group of saints. They keep the commandments of God. But what are the commandments of God? The Bible says in Psalms 119, 172. If we're there, please say amen. amen. The Bible says in Psalms 119, 172. My tongue shall speak of thy word for all thy commandments are what? Righteousness. Righteousness. So when you think of this group of patient, long-suffering saints... These are a group of people that keep God's commandments. So they are experiencing righteousness. Are you following? Now, what's interesting about that is that when you look at it, when you look at the term righteousness, we know that as we just looked at it, the term righteousness, my tongue shall speak of Thy word for all thy commandments are righteousness. We are also told in Christ Object Lessons, page 312, paragraph two, righteousness is right doing and it is by their deeds that all will be judged. So that means that when we think about keeping the commandments of God, we have to understand it is in fact keeping the commandments of God. It is not talking about the commandments of God. It is not professing to be followers of the commandments of God. These are people who actually are doing God's commandments. Now you would think what an elementary point, but brothers and sisters, it amazes me still to date how many of us can look at the Ten Commandments and we can say thou shalt not commit adultery, yet we can dress in ways that promote adultery. We can still say thou shalt not commit adultery, but many a time a man can look at a woman and begin to lust after her in his mind, even though he's a member of the church and he can still commit adultery in his mind even though he never physically touched the woman. So God wants us to understand it is not commandment knowing, it's commandment doing. It's it is. commandment keeping. So when we think of all God's commandments are righteousness, remember righteousness is right doing. So it is imperative that we don't just know God's commandments or have an acquaintance with God's commandments, but we should be doing God's commandments. Are you following? It is imperative that we understand that if we are going to say that God says in the second commandment, no idols. If we believe that, then we have to understand that God hates idolatry. Is that right? But at the same time, there's another thing that God hates. Understanding that God hates idolatry and we need to see it. Go to the book of 1 Samuel 15. If you go to 1 Samuel 15, you will see that there is something else that God hates that is synonymous to idolatry. The Bible says in the book of 1 Samuel, we're looking at chapter 15. And when you get there, please say amen. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 15. And notice what the Bible says in verse 23. Because you have to understand, I have to understand. These patient saints, these long-suffering saints, are people who keep God's commandments. All God's commandments are righteousness and righteousness is right doing so it is the doing of God's commandments not merely the professing and repeating of God's commandments that counts in the judgment so therefore when we read 1st Samuel 15 we know the second commandment God forbids idolatry but what does it say in verse 23 the Bible says for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and what Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Mm. So does God hate idolatry? Then the question is, does God hate stubbornness? Yes. Yes. You understand? Some of us can be very stubborn people. Some of us have made ourselves and our opinions, we have made that, our idols. And sometimes we will bow to the image of this beast. Ourselves. And we will lean and yield to our own stubbornness. And no matter what God says, no matter what the Bible says, brothers and sisters, does the Bible say thou shalt have no other gods? Does not the Bible say that? But what does it say in Philippians chapter three? Go to Philippians chapter three. In other words, I want to impress upon our hearts that God really means what he says. When you go to the book of Philippians, we're looking at chapter three, you will notice that again, God magnifies his words. This is what you read in Psalm 119.96, where God literally, David says, that he will make deep. He will give the broadness of God's commandments. Now, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, what does it say? It says, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. There are some people... That they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And one of the signs of the enemies of the cross of Christ is right in verse 19. It says, whose end is destruction and whose God is their what? Bellies. Bellies. The Bible says thou shalt have no other gods. And that includes our own bellies. Anytime God gives us an instruction, even as it may relate to how we should eat and drink. And when we choose to just eat and drink whatever we want and disregard deliberately what God says, we have just put our bellies, watch this, before God. Therefore, our belly has now become a God for the first commandment says thou shalt have no other gods. What? Before Before me, anything that we will put before God and his instructions and follow that versus God, that thing has become a God. So God wants us to understand that when we look at the blessed herald of the third angel, the third angel's message filled with a group of people who are having an experience where they are keeping the commandments of God, meaning they are keeping righteousness for God's commandments are righteousness. But Christ object lessons 312 righteousness is right doing. It is the doing of the commandments and not simply the mere profession of it that counts. Do we understand that? Amen. Don't ever forget Desire of Ages 209. It tells us the great mistake of the Pharisees is that they thought that an intellectual assent to truth constituted righteousness. Some people like to assent to truth rather than do truth. God wants us to do truth. You understand that? Amen. So that's the very, very key point in our study. Also, you'll remember in 1 John chapter 3, and verse 7, it says, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous. You understand that? So this is what God wants. This is what God wants. Anybody who truly is righteous, it will be demonstrated by what they do. Make sense? All right. Now, the reason why this is important. Is because God wants us to understand that there's a great experience that he wants us to have. That we may make it through the final scenes of earth's history and show others how to do the same thing. It is the experience of the third angel's message. So when we look at it, we know the people who are experiencing the third angel, they are patient. They are long-suffering. They know how to suffer long. But in addition to that, they also keep righteousness, which is right-doing of God's commandments. But it also lets us know something, brothers and sisters. It's imperative that we understand that the gospel is not limited to lip service. It is broadened to performance of what we understand and what we preach. And the reason this is important for us is because understanding the warning without the necessary experience is deadly. Understanding the warning without the necessary experience is deadly. And I make this point because we must understand that if all we do is warn everybody a Sunday law is coming, a Sunday law is coming, a Sunday law is coming, everything is showing it. Now, I want you to really think about it. There's a lot of good people that are doing good work that are warning individuals about the reality of the Sunday law crisis. Should we do that? Absolutely, But at the same time, brothers and sisters, a warning without the necessary experience is deadly. And if you don't believe me, you ask Israel. Go to Leviticus 26. You see, when you look at Leviticus, the 26th chapter, if you notice this picture on the wall here, this is a picture of the Babylonians as they're taking Israel captive. Now, why is that important to us? Because if you look at Leviticus, the 26th chapter, notice what the Bible says. In Leviticus, the 26th chapter... We were talking about this briefly in our question and answer session, but now we're going to look at it more carefully. In Leviticus 26, verses 14 to 24, notice what the Bible says. And what we'll do is we'll read it interchangeably. I'll do verse 14, you do 15, I'll do 16, you do 17, and we'll take it down to verse 24. So the Bible says in Leviticus 26, there's a covenant that God has made with his people Israel. Literally, from Leviticus 26, verses 1 to 13, God showers them with promises, he says, if you keep my covenant and do what I say, God says, I will bless you. I will do all these great things for you. This is the same principle we read in Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 to 14. It's the same principle. If you do these things, I will bless, bless, bless. But then God gets to verse 14. And he says in verse 14, but if you will not hearken unto me and will not do all these commandments. Go ahead. And if you shall abide my statutes, for I
1: commandments, but that ye break my covenant.
0: I also will do this unto you. I will I even appoint over you terror, consumption, and the burning egg that shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart, and ye shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. And I will set my face against
1: you, and ye shall be slain before, before your enemies. enemies. They that shall reign over you, and ye shall flee with pursue it.
0: And if you will not yet for all this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins.
1: And I will, will break the pride God of your, your power, and power, and I will make your heaven as iron and, and your earth,
0: earth as brass. And your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield her increase, neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruits.
1: And if you walk contrary unto me, and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins.
0: I will also send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children, and destroy your cattle, and make you few in number, and your highways shall be desolate.
1: And if you will die, before by me, by these things, but will walk contrary unto me.
0: Then will I also walk contrary unto you and will punish you yet seven times for your sins. God was saying, if you continue to violate my covenant, God says, I will punish you. And then after the punishment, if you still have not learned your lesson, then I will punish you even seven times more. A statement of severity. Now, the thing that's interesting about this is that we are told in inspiration that in Prophets and Kings page four, 29, it says the prophet made plain the fact that our heavenly father allows his judgments to fall that the nations may know themselves to be but men. If ye walk contrary unto me and will not hearken unto me the Lord had forewarned his people I, even I, will scatter you among the heathen and will draw out a sword after you and your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. And notice it's quoting Leviticus 26. God was making plain God was making clear his warning. But the problem was, is that while the people heard and understood the warning, they did not enter into the experience. And as a result of not entering into the experience, they were not protected from the warning. You understand that? It is imperative, brothers and sisters, that we understand how God makes his judgments. God does not say, well, there's second, third generation, 70 Adventists, so they'll be all right. Somehow we get some brownie points. No, brothers and sisters. You see, God has a way that he judges. There's a way that he weighs things. And I want you to see it. It is in 1 Samuel chapter 2. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, notice how God weighs things. Notice how he judges things. 1 Samuel chapter 2. The Bible says in the book of 1 Samuel, notice what it says as we consider chapter 2. And we're going to look at verse 3. When you're there, please say amen. The Bible says in first Samuel chapter two and verse three, it says, talk no more. So exceeding proudly, let not arrogancy come out of your mouth for the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him, what actions, actions are weighed. God weighs, God judges by actions, not professions. Professions mean nothing anybody can say I am a seven day Adventist I am this or I am that God weighs by actions he looks at how is my word affecting your life and your choices and based on that is how God weighs and how God Judges. It is because of this that God wants us to understand again the need to move from a theory to an experience. To not just understand the warning, but to enter the experience that protects us from the warning. And this becomes exceedingly and abundantly important even to us as parents. You see, we are told... In the book Education, page 259, it is because so many parents and teachers profess to believe the word of God while their lives deny its power that the teaching of Scripture has no greater effect upon the youth. I want you to think about this. Go to Ezekiel 33 with me. We're going to come back to that quote. If you go to Ezekiel 33, there are a lot of people that unfortunately behave like what we're going to read in Ezekiel
1: 33.
0: I want you to see Ezekiel the 33rd chapter, and I want you to see what God says here, Ezekiel 33, and we're going to look at verses 30 to 33, and unfortunately, there are many of us that if we are not careful, we can fall into this same exact trap, which is a very deadly trap, the problem with the children of Israel, heard the warning, understood the warning, they did not enter the experience, therefore, they received the punishment. So it is that God says it can happen to us if we're not careful, because a lot of us can be like the people in Ezekiel 33. It says in verse 30, also thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses and speak one to another. every one to his brother saying, come, I pray you and hear what is the word that cometh from the Lord. And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they will not, what? So notice, are they hearing the word? Are they coming to the meetings? Are they showing up for the present truth? Yes, they are. But what was the issue? They were not doing it. So notice it goes on to say, for with their mouth they show much love. But their heart goeth after their covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a what kind of voice?
1: Pleasant. A
0: pleasant voice. Some people say, man, I love hearing that preacher. I love listening to that present truth preacher. You know why? I just like the way he preaches. I just like the sound of his voice. This is what Ezekiel was going through. The people come and they say, man, I love this. Listen to his voice. It sounds like such a pleasant song. But what was the issue? Continuing, it says, and lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument for they hear thy words. But what's the issue? They do them not. It says, and when it is come to pass, lo, it will come. Then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. We got to make sure, brothers and sisters, that we do not fall into this category. That sometimes we think, oh, if present truth was just taught in the churches, then everything would be all right. Brothers and sisters, you would be amazed. Because Ezekiel is telling us right here that there are some people that they would go where the present truth was, but they still miss the experience. So God wants us to understand that it is imperative. I'm repeating myself for a reason. It is imperative that we understand We got to go from being good listeners, good watchers, good hearers, and we must become good doers of the word of God. Yes. Now, again, it is because so many parents and teachers profess to believe the word of God while their lives deny its power that the teaching of Scripture has no greater effect upon the youth. Now, this is the part that got me when I read this in Education 259. At times, the youth are brought to feel the power of the word. Did you know that sometimes young people, even though they appear to be so rebellious, there are times that they actually sense the power of Christ in the word? Whether it's through their own personal devotion or through God's delegated preacher preaching the word. There are times that the young person begins to say, This is God. And look at what it says next it says, They see the preciousness of the love of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Then it says they see the beauty of his character, the possibilities of a life given to his service. Do you know young people sometimes can get to a place where they actually start saying, you know what? I think I can actually live this message. But then what happens? It says, but in contrast, they see the life of those who profess to revere God's precepts. And then it says, of how many are the words true that were spoken to the prophet Ezekiel? And then she quotes Ezekiel 33, what we just read. We have to understand, brothers and sisters, our young people I often say this. I used to do sales. And when I used to do sales, I used to work for organizations where I used to provide what we called high-speed Internet. I used to provide fiber optic networks. And fiber optic networks is like basically the Mercedes-Benz, if you will, of the Internet. And I remember I used to sell because there are basically a couple of ways that you get internet speed. You're either going to get it through what's called DSL, digital subscriber line, or you're going to get it through cable coax, or you're going to get it through fiber. Now, when you do DSL, it's running through a copper wire, and it's distance-based, and sometimes the speeds can be compromised. There's also cable coax. That's obviously where it can go underground, where maybe you'll get a little bit faster speed. But when you can get fiber optic network, fiber optic network is glass. And the light can move super fast through glass and it can get from one place to the next in less than a blink of an eye in less than a nanosecond. So what happens is whenever somebody wants truly high speed download, they want fiber optic networks. But what I've learned is that no matter what man can create, no human being can create a better downloading system than a young person's mind. And when young people listen and see things from parents, they are downloading faster than fiber optic networks and they are downloading and taking in everything that they see and everything that they hear and everything that they're touching. And when young people see inconsistency in mother and father, they download that and it begins to have a contrasting effect upon the influence that God wants to accomplish with those youth brothers and sisters. It is for this reason that how careful we need to be before our precious youth. And we need to remember Luke sixteen ten, where the Bible says, He who is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. But he who is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If we allow our children to keep their bedrooms unclean, They may not be able to appreciate the work of Christ in trying to cleanse the sanctuary. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Even when our children are young, that's our time to help them understand the importance of a clean room. And when they clean their room, parents, that's when you and I come in and we get to do an investigative judgment. (laughs) We get to look and see, is there any spot? Is there any blemish left in the room? And when we can go inside of our children's room and we, we train their minds, I want you to clean your room so well that there's not even a spot or blemish that I can find in your room. That child is being conditioned to understand what God is trying to do in the heavenly sanctuary right now. He who is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. So we must understand that not even in the least, parents, must we compromise. Not even in the least can we allow sin to have even a moment In our experience, because God is trying to accomplish a deep thing. God is trying to fulfill a deep work and he needs our cooperation. And that's the reason why it becomes imperative that we understand we need an experience that is above simply the warning. If you understand what I'm saying thus far, let me hear you say amen. Amen. Now, going back to Revelation 14, you will remember that it was not just those who keep the commandments of God. They were not just Mm long-suffering. That wasn't it only. They were not just long-suffering. They were not simply uh, 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 keeping or doing God's commandments. But there was another element that was there, wasn't it? And that other element was the faith of Jesus. Do you know, brothers and sisters, when you read "Counsels to Writers and Editors, page 30 and 31, do you know that it actually quotes that the faith of Jesus is one of the pillars of our faith? It's one of the pillars. In other words, it's not just a parallelism repetition of keep the commandments of God. The faith of Jesus is a doctrine that stands by itself. And you and I need to understand what that is. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of dwelling. On what constitutes the faith of Jesus, but it is the experience that you and I need. Now, what is the experience? In other words, what is the faith of Jesus? I believe the Bible has an answer for us and I want you to see it. Notice. What is the faith of Jesus? Jesus. If we were to ask ourselves this question, what is the faith of Jesus? Notice what inspiration says. The Bible says, number one, in John five and verse 30, when Jesus came to this earth, he says, I can of my own self do how many things?
1: Nothing.
0: Nothing. He says, I seek not mine own will, but the will of the father that has sent me. We're talking about what is the faith of Jesus. Then John six and verse 38 for I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will. But the will of him that sent me. Notice again, what is the faith of Jesus? Luke 2 and verse 49. I must be about whose business? My My father's business. Again, John 4 and verse 34. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish the work. Then Luke 22 and verse 42. Not my will, but thine be. Done Over and over and over again, when we look at this and we study the life of Christ, you will see that at every phase of his life, he had a complete, full, ample, holistic trust in his father to do for him what he would dare not do for himself. You see this over and over and over again in the example even of the life of Christ. This is the faith Of Jesus, not my will, thy will be done. Not what I want, only what God wants. At no point will I exercise my personal desires and endeavors and goals. It is purely based on my father. I put my trust holistically, completely, amply and fully upon him to do for me what I cannot do for myself. This is the faith of Jesus. Now watch this. Third Selected Messages, page 172, paragraph 3. Notice, the faith of Jesus, it is talked of but not understood. It says, what constitutes the faith of Jesus that belongs to the third angel's message? Jesus becoming our sin-bearer that he might become our sin-pardoning savior. Savior. He was treated as we deserve to be treated. He came to our world and took our sins that we might take his righteousness. And faith in the ability of Christ to save us amply and fully and entirely is the faith of Jesus. These people who are experiencing the third angel's message are people that at no point and at any effort in any phase of their experience are seeking to save themselves. They are resting in the salvation that Christ and Christ alone can bring to him. Now, this is important. And the reason why it's important is because some people have interpreted this faith of Jesus to be something where we're doing a lot of efforts to try to save ourselves rather than us receiving the salvation Christ has already provided. But this is deep because if you really study great controversy and you listen to 572, listen to this great controversy 572. These are for those who are taking notes. If you were to read great controversy... And you were to consider page 572. It's under the chapter Liberty of Conscience Threatened. And I want you to listen to this because we need to understand this. 572, and this is paragraph 2. Here's what it says. It says, a prayerful study of the Bible would show Protestants the real character of the papacy and would cause them to abhor and to shun it. But many are so wise in their own conceit that they feel no need of humbly seeking God that they may be led into the truth. Although priding themselves on their enlightenment, they are ignorant, both of the scriptures and of the power of God. Now, listen to this next point. I had to really think about this. Listen to this. It says they must have some means of quieting their consciences and they seek that which is least spiritual and humiliating. I don't want anything very spiritual. I don't want anything that calls me to be humbled I don't want to do anything that's too humiliating. So look at what it says. What they desire is a method of forgetting God, which shall pass as a method of remembering him. Now watch this. The papacy is well adapted to meet the wants of all these. It says it is prepared for two classes of mankind embracing nearly the whole world. Those who would be saved by their merits and those who would be saved in their sins. Here is the secret of its power. The secret literally of the power of the papacy is to entrap the world into one of two camps. Either I can be saved by my merits Or I can be saved in my sins. Both of them are deadly traps that have been set up by the papacy. And this teaching is what has been spreading all throughout our world. So what God wants under the third angel's message is he wants us to bring balance from these two extremes. So that we might understand salvation and our security in Christ. And that's why the faith of Jesus is literally trusting in the ability of Christ to save us amply, fully and completely and entirely. At no point creature merit is found in the picture. The same way Jesus lived on this earth and at no point did he do what he wanted, exercise his own will. And did what he thought was right. Everything was submitted unto the Father. This was the faith of Jesus, and God says nothing less will be accepted of those who experience the third angel and those who desire to come to me. Nothing less. Now, this therefore requires something called the surrender of the will. The surrender of the will, brothers and sisters, is a beautiful thing. The surrender of the will, if you were to consider Joshua 24:14. And you remember the Bible says, you know, you can write it down. We don't have to turn there. But when you look at Joshua 24, 14, you'll remember that the Bible lets us know that Joshua made it clear. He said, listen, you need to choose this day whom you will serve. When we think about surrendering the will, we're talking about choosing, choosing God. When you look at first Kings 18 and verse 21, that's when Elijah said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. And if Baal, then follow him. So notice, in either case, God says, make a choice. You see, when we read the book, Christ's Object Lessons, listen to this. Oh, my word. This is beautiful. If you listen to Christ's Object Lessons, listen to what it says on page 331. Christ Object Lessons, page 331. Breaking down this whole principle. It says, in Christ's Object Lessons 331, paragraph 1. It says, but Christ has given us no assurance that to attain perfection of character is an easy matter. A noble all round character is not inherited. It does not come to us by accident. A noble character is earned by individual effort through the merits and grace of Christ. You understand that? True righteousness by faith is always cooperation between humanity and divinity. It says God gives the talents, the powers of the mind, we form the character. How it is formed by hard, stern battles with self. So when we think about the Christian race, it is simple to understand, but it is not easy in its experience. It's going to require hard, stern battles with self. And at every point, Satan can't force us to sin, but he's going to try to woo us to choose to sin. So God is going to present his love. He's going to present his grace. He's going to give all the power and all the resources to make the right decision. But the one thing God will not do for us is he will not choose for us. And that's why the Bible is replete with this idea. Choose you this day whom you will serve. If the Lord be God, follow him. I present before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Choose life. Deuteronomy 30 verse 19. God wants us to understand that he has given us something that makes us different from monkeys. Is called the gift of choice. That's what you read in Steps to Christ, page 47. The gift of choice God has given to men. But then it says, but it is theirs to exercise. Early writing 72, faith is ours to exercise, but joyful feeling and the blessing is God's to give to us. Over and over and over again, God says, I will not exercise this for you. I will give you power to exercise it. But God says, but I will not exercise it for you. God says, I have given you that ability to choose. It's what makes you different from the animal kingdom. And so it is that Christ says, listen, it's not that victory is not possible. It's not that we can't get to a place that we holistically, trust, fully, completely, amply and entirely upon Christ to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. But God says, but the choice is in your hands. The choice is in your hands. You're the one that's going to make that decision. It used to be a saying in business, and I was so surprised to see it in inspiration. But did you know that we are the architects of our future to a large degree? Mm-hmm. I used to say that in business all the time. When I used to do business in certain forms with people, I would say, did you know you're the architect of your future? You're the one that gets to decide how your future is going to lay out. One day I'm going through the writings, and here it is. The prophet is letting us know we become the architects of our future. Your choices is what's going to have the impact. So, God wants us to understand it's not that you can't have victory, it's not that we can't, but listen, it's not going to be a cakewalk either. There's going to be hard, stern battles with self. You're going to fight yourself like you never have before, and I can guarantee you the greatest enemy that we have to face in this life is that enemy called self. We're talking about overcoming that mark of the beast. Brothers and sisters, we have to overcome the beast within. Before we can overcome that beast without. And so it is that God says, this is the point that I wanted to bring across to my people. Now, the next question is, what is the faith of Jesus directly connected to? How does this happen? Because we're still in the world of theory right now. How does this really happen? And here goes God saying, all right, you want to know how it happens? Well, notice the verses. In Romans 3, verses 22 and 24, here's what the Bible says. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference being what justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We're asking the questions. What is the faith of Jesus directly connected to notice Galatians two sixteen: Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the what? Faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be what? Justified. justified by the what? Faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Remember we're entertained in the question: what is the faith of Jesus directly connected to? Again, Galatians 3:22 and 24, but the scripture hath concluded. All under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Question What is the faith of Jesus Christ directly connected to? Justification by faith. Very interesting. The faith of Jesus Christ is directly connected to justification by faith. That is replete. That is evident all throughout scripture. Now, justification by faith becomes something that we would do well to consider, brothers and sisters. And the reason why is because we know that justification by faith was very foundational to the Protestant movement. The very father of Protestantism. What is this man's name? Martin Luther. Luther. When you think of Martin Luther, we understand that he was the one that was recognized as the very father of the Protestant faith, Martin Luther. And his contribution was specifically what? Justification by faith. Notice, father of the Protestant Reformation. Although there had been significant earlier attempts to reform the Roman Catholic Church before Luther, such as those of John Huss, Peter Waldo, and John Wycliffe, it is Martin Luther who is widely acknowledged to have started the Reformation with his 1517 work, the what? 95. Now, when the 95 Thesis was written, that was Martin Luther's counteraction to the false concept of how a man or a woman was made right with God. Because before then, it was going around teaching people that the selling of indulgences and all these things was the means by which one could be made in right standing with God. Basically, you could pay for your salvation. Now watch this. It says Luther began by criticizing the selling of indulgences, insisting that the Pope had no authority over purgatory and that the Catholic doctrine of the merits of the saints had no foundation in the gospel. The Protestant position, however, would come to incorporate doctrinal changes such as sola scriptura by scripture alone and sola fide by faith alone. These were the things that was the emphasis of the work of Martin Luther when the Protestant Reformation began truly in this in this era. Now the reason why this is important is because Martin Luther is recognized as the father of the Reformation. And in the Reformation work, what Martin Luther wanted to do was take the people's minds off of quoting popes and all these different people and get back to scripture. But his emphasis in the sola scriptura, by scripture alone, was understanding sola fide, by faith alone. Justification by faith alone. So literally, justification by faith was foundational to the beginning of the Reformation movement. Are you following? Justification by faith was foundational to the beginning of the Reformation movement. You understand that? Yes, now, the reason why that's important is because the Roman Catholic Church responded with a counter-reformation initiated by the Council of Trent. Much work in battling Protestantism was done by the well-organized New Order of the Jesuits. Jesuits. The whole purpose of the Jesuits was to rise up and to counterwork the Reformation. The foundation of the Reformation was sola scriptura by scripture alone, pointing out justification by faith alone. Now, the reason why this becomes important is because when you study Ignatius of Loyola, the very founder of the Jesuit order, the very founder, very founding movement in Ignatius of Loyola. The Society of Jesus is a Christian male religious congregation of the Catholic Church. The members are called Jesuits. The Society is engaged in evangelization and apostolic ministry in 112 nations on six continents. Jesuits work in education, founding schools, colleges, universities, and seminaries, intellectual research, and cultural pursuits. Jesuits also give retreats, minister in hospitals and parishes, and promote social justice and ecumenical dialogue. This is what Jesuits do. Then we understand also the society participated in the counter-reformation and later in the implementation of the Second Vatican Council in the Catholic Church. So literally, the Jesuit order was an order that existed to promote ecumenical dialogue for the purpose of crushing out the Reformation. That was their great grand purpose. We are looking at it from a historical standpoint, but even from inspiration and great controversy throughout Christendom. Protestantism was menaced by formidable foes. The first triumphs of the Reformation passed. Rome summoned new forces, hoping to accomplish its destruction. At this time, the order of the Jesuits was created, the most cruel, unscrupulous, and powerful of all the champions of popery. Great Controversy 234. So here it is that when you look at the Jesuit order, it's an order that was put together to go ahead and crush out Protestantism through promoting ecumenical dialogue. The very foundation of the Reformation was sola scriptura by the Bible only and sola fide, which is justification by faith only. You and I cannot experience true sanctification without first experiencing true justification. Justification is foundational to righteousness by faith. As we are justified, God continues to do a sanctification work. So one of the things you find with Satan is that he always likes to attack things at the root. So when you look at the Jesuit order, their goal was if we can crush out justification by faith alone, then more than likely the people will easily pervert sanctification by faith, and we can accomplish our goal to put people in one of two classes, saved by merits or saved in sin. This is why when God gave us the third angel's message, God wanted us to understand if ever there was an experience that we were to know, it was how is a man justified by the faith of Christ and how do they walk in the light of that justification? It is for this reason that when we look at all the problems, you saw it earlier, we studied earlier. We saw that we are living in a time where there's tremendous problems and agitations happening all around us. Right now, there are movements of equality. There are movements of safety. There are movements of unity. And all of these issues and agitations in our country and the world are getting to such a state that people are ready to give up anything and everything for a solution. And while they're looking for a solution to life's problems, somebody says, I have it. Somebody says, I have the solution. And I don't know if any of you studied the six-point agenda that Pope Francis plans to talk about at Congress on September 23rd. I don't know if you looked at it, brothers and sisters. It's all over the Internet. It's not hard to find. His representative spells it out clear as day. You can literally type in agenda for Pope Francis's visit to Congress. And if you type that thing in Google, in quotations, you can literally see the six-point agenda. Brothers and sisters, if you read that six-point agenda, it'll make you drop to your knees. Because he is coming as a man that says, we need to talk about economic inequality. We need to talk about how we can get our finances right. Brothers and sisters, do you understand that when the first and the second beast are coming together to talk about how to handle finances, do you understand that it's a lot easier now to understand how we can get to a point of no buy, no sell?
1: Mm -mm. When the
0: first and the second beast come together, brothers and sisters, that's right in front of our faces. So God wants us to understand that, listen, we are to watch the prophetic movements and then enter into an experience that by the grace of God, it not only will protect us, but then we also know how to give the gospel that others may be protected. And so it is that I believe Last year, something very serious took place. It was last year that I began to look at it and I said, you know, I wonder if a lot of us caught it. You see, the third angel's message in truth is justification by faith and verity. That's what the third angel's message really is. That's the experience that can protect us when the beast power flexes its bicep. We must understand and be in the experience of true justification by faith and understand what that means and then how to impart it to others. So you know what the beast power actually did is they did not just raise up a fight or a work against God's truth, but they specifically attacked the very essence of the third angel's message. You see, there's a lot of people right now That are giving the third angel's message, or at least believe they are. And what they're doing is they are warning people like nobody's business. A Sunday law is coming. A crisis is coming. A crisis is coming. A crisis is coming. And in that warning, there's very little emphasis on the experience that protects from the warning. We learned that to give a warning is not enough. To have a warning but be void of the experience is deadly. So there's a lot of us that are thinking that we're giving the third angel's message because we are carefully calculating the movements of the papacy, the movements of America, while at the same time, we are neglecting the very movements of Christ. We are not emphasizing his work and what he wants to accomplish and how it can become our reality. It's a crisis, brothers and sisters. Now, when we consider that, I started looking at this because Rome is not playing. Because last year, 2014, was very significant for us because it was in 2014 that there was not simply an attack on the word of God. God's word has been attacked for a long time. We know that. But last year was one of the first times we've ever seen prominently before the people a very specific attack on justification by faith. How do we know that? It was through this man right here. You see, his specific words was the protest is over. And the reason he stated the protest was over is because now Rome says we, too, believe in justification by faith. The rationale that was used last year by Bishop Tony Palmer was that if. Rome now believes in justification by faith, just like Martin Luther, then the question is, is there really any relevance of being Protestants? And we know Kenneth Copeland said, oh, heaven is thrilled over this Uh apostate Protestantism said it clearly. Oh, heaven is thrilled over this. That protesting is over. We don't need to protest anymore. In other words, they were saying Martin Luther's whole move is now moot. It's irrelevant because now we believe in justification by faith, too. Did you understand that last year was a direct attack against the third angel? It was a direct attack to undermine what the third angel's message was supposed to bring out. Why? Because many of us were so busy on warning. We were hardly bringing before the people an understanding of justification by faith. So now Rome comes along and Rome says, yes, we believe in it now. We accept it now. So there's no beef between us and Martin Luther anymore. No need to protest. And they did it just like a Jesuit would do. Ecumenical dialogue, crush out the Reformation. Now I started to look at this thing and I said, man, this is interesting. And you'll remember what happened. This same man, we know a few months later, died. And it's interesting because a movement is typically strengthened when its champion dies. So I started looking at Catholic Online, absolutely, incredibly powerful website. And the reason why is because of this. Only Catholic Online, located at www.catholic.org, gives the largest and broadest population of Catholics worldwide easy access to comprehensive educational and timely information about Catholicism and provides a range of easy methods to integrate their faith into their daily lives. Then it says, Catholic Online reaches a highly targeted audience of over 100,000 Catholic users per day. 100,000 Catholic users per day. Okay? Then it says, and up to 1 million page impressions per day. That's millions and millions of people viewing this thing just in a single month. So there's a lot that on this website helps strengthen. Because remember, what did Revelation 13 teach us? Revelation 13, 14 said, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast. You see, anytime there's a way that the beast's power can get its message to the people to get the people to buy in, brothers and sisters, that's an easy way to watch prophecy get fulfilled. So when you got millions of people that are coming in and beholding the the teachings and the emphasis of Rome and apostate Protestantism, this becomes significant to us. Now watch this. It says visitors come from over 120 countries around the world. Over 100,000 users take advantage of free email accounts and access Catholics online every day. Now watch this. They wrote a tribute to the late Bishop Tony Palmer, friend of Francis and what? Champion of Christian unity. OK, so when he died, whether he's really dead or not, it doesn't matter because, you know, there's some people who say, oh, it's a whole conspiracy. Listen, we don't know. But the record says he's dead and I'm gonna accept that. Now watch this. It says a tribute to Protestant Bishop Tony Palmer, friend of Francis and champion of Christian unity. Start looking at it. Here's what it said. A scholar and leader among evangelical Protestants in the United States, Timothy George, the dean of Beeson Divinity School, also wrote a piece for the same publication entitled Our Francis Too. And what he said was why we can enthusiastically join arms with the Catholic leader. This is a message to Protestants. Okay. Here's what it says. George wrote, Francis succeeds two men of genius in his papal role. John Paul II was the liberator who stared down communism by the force of his courage and prayers. Benedict XVI was the eminent teacher of the Catholic Church in recent history. Francis appears now as the pastor, a shepherd who knows and loves his sheep and wants to lead them in love and humility. The new Franciscan moment is the season of the shepherd. Catholics and evangelicals are the two largest faith communities in the body of Christ. Without forgetting the deep differences that divide us, now as never before, we are called to stand and work together for the cause of Christ in a broken world. So you'll notice that there's this movement that's going on. In other words, I marvel at how wonderfully he is following the very order of the Jesuits. So we know they create ecumenical dialogue, and through the ecumenical dialogue, they go ahead and do the work to seek to crush out the Reformation. The foundation of the Reformation, sola scriptura, Bible alone, sola fide, by faith alone. So once they can attack that, Get the people, don't believe in the Bible, get the people to understand a perverted view of how we're made right, saved by merits or saved in sin. Then everything else begins to crumble under his tree. You understand that? So now when we see this, we start saying, my word, look at this, Lord, there's a movement taking place that's trying to undermine the very essence of the third angel's message. The very essence of the third angel's message was the warning. But how much more the experience we must help the people understand what constitutes true justification by faith through the merits of Christ as we see that time is almost finished and this is what god wants us to do right now but the question is is that what our message is being given through your ministry through my ministry or are we spending meticulous hours upon hours upon hours upon hours? Warning, 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 warning. And then all we do is close by saying we need to follow Jesus. We need to give ourselves a Jesus. Brothers and sisters, it's going to take more than that. We must educate and we must instruct on how does this thing work? Tomorrow's study in the morning, oh my word, we're going to go through as simple as it gets. We are going to answer the question, what must I do to be saved? There are people all over the world right now that are asking the question, and they are not all rich young rulers. But they are asking the question he asked, what must I do to be saved? And brothers and sisters, we have to have a clear, concise answer based on thus saith the Lord so when we started to look at this I started to look at it, I said, Lord, all right, there's an attack on the third angel right now these movements are seeking to undermine the very principle of the third angel and then here it is, God says, Dwayne, you think it's that bad God says, look what happened yesterday you see Fox News, Gretchen Carlson's take August 28, 2015 Sister Ruth and here it is, that I want you to listen to this I'm going to take my microphone off on this one and I want you to listen to this, because this news just came out hot off the presses yesterday. And I want you to see what it says. Watch this.
2: I'm now for my take with a hat tip to my colleague Chris Steyerwald, who also found the same story that piqued my interest today. It's about Pope Francis, once again doing something unexpected. As you've heard me say before and may have learned from my book, Getting Real, my grandfather was a Lutheran minister who grew our church in Anoka, Minnesota, from 800 to 8,500 members at the time. As you also know from history, Martin Luther was not a popular figure with Catholics back in the 16th century, key figure in the Protestant Reformation, excommunicated in 1521, never allowed to return to the Catholic Church. But next month, right near the Vatican that I had the pleasure of visiting just a few weeks ago, Pope Francis will name a hilltop square, Piazza Martin Lutero, in memory of Martin Luther and his achievements, yes, his achievements, Once a heretic in Catholic history books, Pope Francis is instead choosing to honor a man no one ever thought would get such praise from the top Catholic. So I just want to say today, thank you, Pope Francis. And thanks for being part of The Real Story. I'm Gretchen. Here's Harris in for
0: Brothers and sisters, do you understand what's happening? Do you get that? You see, what's happening, brothers and sisters, is that the stage is being set up. Do you understand what's taking place? The ecumenical dialogues have been going on for a long time. Since 1994, they had Catholics and evangelicals together. 2006, the Ten Commandment Movement. 2006, Christian churches together. There's been movements for a long time, but they were building up the stage slowly but surely, knocking it down, knocking it down. And then here it is from last year all the way up until yesterday. This article, brothers and sisters, came out Yesterday. And here it is that while we're watching all these things, notice now all of a sudden, the very man who's one of the key figures to crush out Catholicism, lifting up the Reformation. Now they're saying, listen, last year they said, listen, the protest is now over. And you know what? The very man, we're now going to honor him. And a lot of people are saying exactly what she said. Well, thank you. Maybe you guys aren't so bad after all. Brothers and sisters, if ever there was a time to revive the work of Protestantism, if ever there was a time that people need to once again understand what the Reformation was all about, if ever there was a time that the whole book Great Controversy, Needs to go out with all the historical beginning of the chapters. Listen, I'm not calling any man evil or anything like that who put together the great hope. I'm not going to try to read people's hearts. But what I'm telling you, this is not the time to give out great hope. Amen. This is the time to give out great controversy. Amen. Because there are deliberate movements trying to crush Protestantism. And great controversy next to the Bible. is the best book to spell out what constitutes real Protestantism. Amen. Like never before, brothers and sisters. Because these are the movements that are making their way. And so it is that today, now all of a sudden, now the papacy and everybody else is saying, listen, even Martin Luther, we think he's great. We want to honor him. Because in their mind, the protest is over. In their mind, the protest is over. Is it over? No, it's far from over, brothers and sisters. But this is what God wants us to understand. If ever there was a time, not to just simply get up and give the warning. Should we give the warning? Oh, yes, brother. Should we give it with clear clarion tone? Yes. Yes. But should we give the experience with even greater tone? Yes. Like never before, we need to spell it out and make it plain. This is justification by faith, and this is not what is being purported by these movements. You see, we were told through the prophet Daniel. When you read what Daniel says, Daniel is helping us understand what's happening right now. You see, you remember what Daniel said. Daniel made it clear talking about that little horn power. It says, and through his policy or intelligence, also, he shall cause craft or deceit to prosper in his hand and he shall magnify himself where in his his heart. You see, right now, there's a faithful front being put up. Man, he is such a humble person. But yes, it is true on the outside. But on the inside of his heart, he's doing what? He's magnifying himself. You understand that? He's magnifying himself in his heart and by what? Peace. Shall he what? Peace destroys. You see, he's already met with the president. He's already met with the leaders of the Muslims and the leaders of the Jews. He already had them plant the peace olive tree into the ground. It's all there. It's a movement of peace, but he needs to make peace with the Protestants. He has to disengage them. He has to get the Protestants to say, you know what? Since you guys believe in justification by faith too, you know what? I guess there is no protest anymore. You know what? I think you're all right. That's the movement that's happening right now. Right now. All the way up until yesterday. Flashing before God's people. And then next month he comes. Oh, my brothers and sisters. I was doing a training right there in Pennsylvania just a week or so ago, and I trained those missionaries. I said, you listen to me. I said, you make sure you get every great controversy you can find. I said, you work that territory of Philadelphia. I said, you pass those things out like the leaves of autumn. I praise God for Pastor Boy. You better pray for him. He had a whole bunch of people get all his DVDs and stuff, and they're going out, and they're going in. There are many ministers that are saying, look, we got to go to Philadelphia. We got to take our books. We got to take our materials. We have to do everything possible to get these people ready for the great deceptive work that's getting ready to take place. September 23rd to the 27th. Pray and ask God, what's the part he wants you to play? You pray and ask God, Father, what's the part you want me to play? Because we need to understand these things are happening because notice what it goes on to tell us. It doesn't just stop there. It says he shall also stand up against the prince of princes. You see, by peace, he shall destroy many and he shall also try to stand up against the prince of princes. But while it appears that he has so much success, I am so thankful for the unadulterated, authoritative word of God, because the Bible says, but he shall be broken without hand. God says I win. God says I win. That's why we have nothing to fear for the future, except as we forget the way God has led us. In the past, through history and those teachings, we must understand God has already said, be of good cheer. I've already overcome the world. The victory is literally already. We don't have to wonder, will there be victory? God says, put a stamp on it. It's done. But what God says is, but you got to be part of the team that you can walk in the victory that I'm in. And so therefore, we have to choose this day whom we are going to serve. This is why the Bible says, for when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. First Thessalonians chapter five and verse three. God says, be careful, saints. The movements that are taking place right now. Yes, they're coming together strong. And the mission is very clear. You saw the mission again. A prayerful study of the Bible would show Protestants the real character of the papacy. A prayerful study. Great controversy, right? 572. A prayerful study of the Bible would show Protestants the real character of the papacy. The reason why there's so many Protestants that are joining hands with the papacy is because they are not prayerfully studying the Bible. See how simple that is? Do you understand that's why when we think about the Protestant work that needs to come back and be revived, the great Reformation work that needs to come back and be revived, what are the two foundational points of the Reformation? Sola Scriptura, the Bible alone, sola fide, justification by faith alone. Do you understand these foundations? This is what Satan's trying is trying to steal away the foundations. And that's why today you got a whole bunch of Protestants that are literally so-called Protestants or better known as apostate Protestants. That's why we see all these things happening right now. Makes perfect sense. But God says, but I have a movement. God says that while the rest of the world is turning their backs on me, God says I have a movement. God says that I raised up a movement of prophetic design. And yes, it is true that we know that we saw last night that the dragon power is doing everything he can to distract us and to divide us and to cause us to criticize and judge and do everything possible except the work that God has given us to do. But if we catch that vision that God wants us to catch, if we could just see what Christ wants us to see, if we would have Jesus's focus, this work could be finished, brothers and sisters, and many souls will be saved into God's kingdom. And so it is that God wants us to understand. Remember, those two classes of mankind embracing nearly the whole world, those who would be what? Saved Saved by by the merits and those who would be Saved saved in their sins, brothers and sisters We have to be careful We have to be careful We have to make sure That we understand This most important question What does biblical justification by faith produce? You see, if we understood real biblical justification by faith You know what produces something? It produces two things that I'm going to show you tonight Number one is Romans chapter 5 Go there with me You see, in Romans, the fifth chapter what does biblical justification produce? Romans 5. Romans, the fifth chapter, and we're looking at verse 1. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, what does it produce?
1: We have
0: have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have that? You know, it's amazing how some of us, we worry about what's happening in God's church. I don't worry about what's happening in God's church. I just simply say, Father, show me my part. Show me what to do. I've met a lot of complainers, but brothers and sisters, we must learn. God cares more for this church than we ever could. God loves this church more than we could ever love it. We are told in testimonies to ministers and gospel workers, the church, enfeebled, defective, in need of reproof and warning, is the only object upon earth upon which God holds his supreme regard. God basically says, I care about these people. And that's why God said, that's why I'm going to shake it up. I would even question, why would God shake up the church? You know the purpose of God shaking the church? What's the purpose of the shaking? Are we in a shaking? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah, all the Bible students know that. But let me ask you, if we're in a shaking, what's the purpose of it? Wake us up. Somebody says, wake us up. Okay. Okay. I just want to show you from inspiration. Again, there's a, there's a nice, methodical, biblical way to do it. We don't have time for that. We're getting towards the close of the message. I'm going to just show you something very quickly here, and then we're going to continue. So notice this. What is the great purpose of the shaking? I want you to notice what inspiration says right here. Notice inspiration. Watch this right here. Second spiritual gifts, page 284, paragraph one. Just as long as God has a church, he will have those who will cry aloud and spare not. Now, I know this to be true. This is why sometimes my heart goes out to my offshoot friends, because sometimes people estrange themselves so much from the conference churches that they don't even know what's going on in it anymore. I remember one guy, he was a, he was an independent and he's doing his own independent thing. And then a, a present truth preacher came to this church to preach and all these folks showed up. It was right here in Georgia. And I remember, you know, the gentleman who was, who was one of the pastors of an offshoot church. He came down to hear the preacher. And when he came there, somebody, the elder was reading from testimonies to the church, volume seven. And volume eight. And as he was reading it, I remember the pastor came to me. He said, "Brother Lemon, he said, man, this is amazing. He said, I didn't even know they allow people to read from the testimonies in conference churches." And I'm thinking, brother, where have you been? In other words, some people estrange themselves so much from the structure that they don't even know what's going on anymore. They don't understand that every present truth that's being preached in all the offshoots is being preached in the organized body. There is no present truth. I didn't say messages because some messages don't need to be preached. Every present truth that God has given to us that needs to be preached right now is being done in conference churches. It may not be done to the desires of our hearts. It may not be done to the standpoint. But God has promised just as long as God has a church, he will have those who will cry aloud and spare not. There is not one church that I've been to, no matter how deep the apostasy, that there is not somebody who is crying aloud and sparing not and giving a warning to the people and being a living witness. Just as long as God has a church, he will have those who will cry aloud and spear not, who will be his instruments to reprove selfishness and sins and will not shun to declare the whole counsel of God, whether men will hear or forbear. It says, I saw that individuals would rise up against the plain testimonies. It does not suit their natural feelings. They would choose to have smooth things spoken unto them and have peace cried in their ears. I view the church in a more dangerous condition than they have ever been experimental religion is known but by a few the shaking must soon take place too now if God is doing a shaking to purify the church then brothers and sisters why are we leaving in other words when we leave why do we leave we say because the church is impure is that not the case We say, there's apostasy in the church. What do you mean? False doctrine. What do you mean? Bad dress. What do you mean? Bad worship. Bad music. Okay, all these things in the church. God says, I already started my job. God says, I'm shaking up the church. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. God says, I'm shaking up the church. Now, if we compare that with Amos 9.9, you will see very clearly what gets shaken out and what stays in. If God is shaking the church, it's the chaff that goes out and it's the grain that stays in. So I don't understand why people keep trying to wrest scripture and the spirit of prophecy and say the shaking is that the faithful are going out while the wicked and the lost and the deceived are staying in. Oh, my brothers and sisters, study to show thyself approved unto God. You understand? So God wants us to understand there's a shaking going on. No doubt about it. God is on his job to make sure that everyone who can be saved will be saved. And this is why even when we see the perplexities happening in the church, the question is, has it stolen your peace? Because if it has, maybe you don't still understand justification by faith. You see, justification by faith is more than what our dear brother Martin Luther understood it to be. Justification by faith Is in a nutshell the work of God on behalf of humanity to do for humanity what humanity could not do for itself. That's the principle of justification by faith. It's not just simply past sins forgiven, it is more than that. It's power that can remain present as it is retained. It is us trusting in Jesus fully, completely, amply, and entirely to save us and to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And brothers and sisters, this is what makes up the third angel's message. Because what we're getting ready to go up against, there's no human conjuring that can battle it. What we're getting ready to go up against, brothers and sisters, there's no devising that you and I can make to outsmart the beast. There is no effort. There is no work. There is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. And don't you dare fall into that trap. You think you're out of the city and the country and you think that's going to save you? Brothers and sisters, the devil has
1: GPS. (laughs) He
0: knows how to find you. Now listen to me. I say that not to do what many ministers do. I don't say that to minimize country living. I live in the country. Amen. And I believe in country living. But we need to understand that country living has nothing to do with self-preservation. Country living is about learning lessons of faith. It's about learning about God. It's about coming to the quiet. It's about getting away from the hustle and bustle of life and all the distractions and their evil forms and getting a chance to do what Jesus did. Remember, we read it earlier, to commune with nature and with God. So we can gain an experience that we can go back into the cities and give the present truth. And then when those hearts respond, we say, come to the quiet with me. And we bring them back to our country retreats. And they watch us have worship every morning. They watch us have worship every evening. They watch us as we eat food that is wholesome and wonderfully nourishing for the body, yet tastes good. (laughs) They begin to see a simple life, not a life of constantly living to chase debt. Not all the massive extravagances, yet good quality. And they get to see this simple life of a family that loves Jesus. And people begin to say, you know what? I want what you have. I remember we did a health meeting and we did a health meeting. And when we did that health meeting, brothers and sisters, I remember that these Muslims came. Muslim lady came to the health meeting. We did it right there. Brother Chris, oh, he's not here, but Brother Chris, he remembers this. The center of evangelism right there in Cobb County. And we did the uh, meeting. And when we did that meeting, there was a Muslim lady that came. We did the gospel of health. And I was the preacher, did the opening night. We did a health expo during the day, and then I gave the message at night. Made the appeal how many of us would like to receive the gospel of health? That Muslim sister stood up. She said, Oh, I want this. I want this. And she responded to the message. We said, Amen. Prayed with her and everything else. Took her number. We said, Would you like a consultation? Yes, we would like a consultation. All right, we'll come to your house. Came to her house. She said, My husband will be there. I said, Wonderful. I came into the house with my Bible and my health books. Came in there, sat down with them. I said, now, the way that I do consultations is I said that we go through the latest evidence through science that truly endorses biblical principles of health. And I said, and this is how I'm going to conduct this consultation. Do you have a problem with that? They said, no, we don't have any problem with that. Started walking through the consultation. I remember we started showing them all these beautiful health principles. And as we showed them those health principles, next thing you know, the Muslim man and his wife, the wife was saying, oh, this makes so much sense. This is good. This is good. And then she said, honey, do you believe this is good? He said, yes, this is good. She says, then we're going to make the changes. Yes, we're going to make the changes. And I'm sitting at the table saying, praise God. And next thing you know, the wife takes a big garbage bag, flips it open, opens up the cabinets and starts throwing food away. (laughs) stuff start throwing it away start throwing that thing away and next thing you know the husband says wait 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 he said let's eat it let's finish it and then we'll start the new diet lifestyle why well, I said no 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 we have to learn to follow God when he speaks when I saw that home that open I said you know what I said listen I said do you mind I said Thanksgiving's coming up I said we would like for you to be our guests They said, all right, we'll come by. They came by our house, came by our house for our country retreat. They came to that country retreat, brothers and sisters, and they came with their children. My wife and another sister, Sister Bacchus, they took the wife and said, let us show you how to make this healthy food. And they walked over and started taking that. My children started to teach their children scripture songs. I said, do you have a problem with that? He says, oh, no. He says, I love this. I've never heard scripture songs before. Please teach them. I took the husband. We have a trail on our property. I said, come, man. I said, let's take a walk. Started taking him on a walk, and I said, Father, you promised that Nature is your second book. Please open the pages. Help him to see. We started talking about Islam and Christianity because I have a former Islamic background. So I started to share with him some principles. Oh, yes, yes, you're familiar with Islam, Sunni Islam. Very good. Yes, we started talking and everything else. And he says, you know, Dwayne, he says, I'm open. He says, I'm open to receiving the gospel. Mm. Gave them some gospel principles, came back, had a fantastic meal, ministered to them, gave them books and things to study, and then we prayed, and eventually they went home. And then we had worship that night, and I said, family, do you realize we had the experience of Enoch today? Enoch would always go into the city, and he would bring people back and allow them to see what Christ is like in the home. And we began to rejoice with God. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. God gave us country living to be a blessing. Not some instrument for hiding. We need to understand that when we are made right with God through the merits of our precious Savior, that that thing brings peace. In the midst of a crazy world, in the midst of a world loaded and absolutely filled with so much stress, here it is that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if I got peace with God, I got nothing to worry about.
1: Man.
0: because God has my back you know when a man dies they put on their tombstone rest in peace you know peace and rest go very close together and did you know brothers and sisters that a life in Christ is a life of restfulness do you have that A life in Christ is a life of restfulness, uneasiness, dissatisfaction, and restlessness reveal the absence of the Savior. Mind, Character, and Personality, book two, page 642. Brothers and sisters, do you have the rest that Christ wanted to give so bad? You see, when we are made right with God, that's what justification is, is being made right with God. It is recognizing I have nothing in and of myself to offer you. There's nothing that I have that I can truly commend myself before you. Simply upon thy cross I cling. And I recognize my sinful frailty. And I recognize your blessed holiness and your merits. And it is upon the blood and merits of Christ that I come to thee today, Lord. And I ask you to please do for me what I cannot do for myself. And God says, can you imagine that I love you so much that I'll take your death and I'll give you my life. It's a story of love, brothers and sisters. We're going to just study that thing all throughout eternity. And this is what Christ says I offer to people. You know how many people right now are slaves to sin? And if we really understood justification by faith, we would help them see this is the pathway out. God giving power to man upon which... God can do for him what he never could accomplish. You know how many people I know in present truth that talk about, man, I have tried so hard to trust God. I have tried so hard to stop sinning. I have tried so hard. And what happens is when we try so hard and we keep failing, after a while you start thinking it's not possible. And all along, Christ and his real practical righteousness was set before us. And when we understand what that thing is and how it works in our hearts, this is when God begins to show us His peace and his love. And it does something incredible for us. And so the first thing we need to understand is how true justification by faith works. And the way that it works, brothers and sisters, is that God gives peace to us. It's the fruit of knowing that my life is hid in him. I messed up. Yes, I did. I messed up real bad. Again, I did it, Lord. But you come upon the feet of Jesus and you plead with him in sincerity. And this is why we're told when the penitent sinner contrite before God discerns Christ's atonement on his behalf and accepts this atonement as his only hope in this life and the future life. This is justification by faith. Man. You have an opportunity to leave here clean. I don't care what your mess was that you brought up in here with you. Demons and darkness all up inside of our hearts. God literally says, I still love you enough that I'm willing to pardon you. If you'll come to me, if you'll discern the atoning work that I've done on your behalf, after so much knowledge, and second, third generation, SDA and everything else, God says, if you would please humble yourself before me and come to me. I always tell people you can have Nebuchadnezzar's experience or you can have Mary's experience. And I'm going to break that down in just a moment. we am going to bring out some final points. Watch this. So the first thing God wants us to understand, brothers and sisters is that true biblical justification by faith is understanding what the merits of Christ has done on behalf of humanity and that humanity could not have accomplished it for itself and it is available to you and I of which we can cling to it by the hand of faith. But watch this. It's not limited to that. You see, go to Romans chapter 1. We're bringing out some final points now. Go to Romans chapter 1. If you look at Romans chapter 1, I want you to notice what the Bible says here. In Romans chapter 1, what does it say in verse 16? Watch the verse very carefully. Romans 1 and verse 16. If you're there, please say amen. Amen. Now watch this. Romans 1 and verse 16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the what? Power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, verse 17, it says, for therein, that's talking about the gospel, for therein is the what?
1: Righteousness Righteousness
0: of God, what's that next word? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Did you see that? The gospel of Christ, therein, in the gospel of Christ, it says the righteousness of God is what? Revealed. Revealed. Now, going on, it says the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So when we think of justification by faith, if it's really real, justification by faith is always revealed. How is it revealed? James chapter two. Watch this. This is what needs to be taught like never before. James chapter 2. Watch this. In the book of James, notice what it says in chapter 2. James chapter 2. We're looking in James, and we're going to chapter 2. When you get there, please say, Amen. 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 The Bible says in James chapter 2, starting at verse 21, watch the text. It says in James 2 and verse 21, Was not Abraham our father, what? Justified. Justified by? Works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith alone. True justification by faith is always revealed by works. If you carefully follow James 2, it was not that James was teaching that works justifies a man. That's not what he's teaching. Because did you catch what it said right there in verse 23? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham did what? Believe God. God, And it was imputed unto him for Righteousness. righteousness. Now, just think with me a little bit. It just said, It was Abraham that was approved of God. He was regarded by God as righteous because he what? He believed God. Now, what was it that Abraham did that proved he believed God? That God then therefore said, "Okay, I see this as a demonstration of righteousness. What did he do? What did he do? He obeyed God in offering his son. Do you know that that's not accurate? In other words, if you look up, where in the Bible does it say that Abraham believed God it was accounted unto him for righteousness? You know where it says that? It says that in Genesis 15, 6. And you know what it says in Genesis 15, 6? It says that God said to him, I'm going to make you a big nation. And he says, I'm going to make you a big nation and your seed and so on, and I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing and all these other things. It had nothing to do with him offering Isaac his son. You understand that? Are you following So Abraham demonstrated righteousness. God input righteousness unto Abraham. He simply believed God. But then God tested him. God tested him. And how did God test him? God tested by saying the very child of promise that I told you you're going to have, that you chose to believe me. And therefore I counted it as righteousness. God says, That very child of promise, I want you to kill him. And when Abraham obeyed the command of God, he was revealing the righteousness he already had. Don't lose that. When God made the promise, Abraham believed God. God regarded him as righteous. Later on, God says the same promised child. I want you to kill him. And then Abraham had to reveal the righteousness he received in times past by obeying the command of God. Are you following? That's why I like the common English version on this verse. What does it say? It says, What about Abraham, our father? Wasn't he shown to be righteous through his actions? When he offered his son, Isaac, on the altar. See, his faith was at work along with his actions. In fact, his faith was made complete by his faithful actions. So the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and God regarded him as righteous. What is more, Abraham was called God's friend. So you see that a person is shown to be righteous through faithful actions and not through faith alone. You understand that? Righteousness is something we receive by faith, but God always intended for it to be revealed in the life. The way that it was to be revealed in the life was by a submission to God when he calls us to keep his commandments. Now, why is that important? Because that was the very issue of 1888. That was the very issue of 1888. You see, when God raised up those two champions, Wagner and Jones, when God raised up those two champions to teach the message of righteousness by faith, notice the statements of Ellen White. She said in last Day events 200, The Lord in his great mercy sent a most precious message to his people through elders E.J. Wagner and A.T. Jones. This message was to bring more prominently before the world the uplifted Savior, the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. It presented what? It presented justification through faith in the surety. It invited the people to receive the righteousness of Christ, which is made what manifest Manifest in obedience to all the commandments of God. Justification by faith in the mind of God was something that was always to be revealed. How in obedience to all. The commandments of God. So when you think about justification by faith, it is not that which only brings peace to us because of what we receive through the merits of Christ, but it also imparts power to us so that we may go forward and obey His commandments. You see, right now we are being taught that Rome. And apostate protestantism says the protest is over. We believe in justification by faith, even though we have removed ourselves from the word of God and we do not believe in keeping God's commandments. God says true justification by faith actually endorses our faith in the word of God. And is always revealed in faithfulness to God's commandments. This is what needs to be brought before the world. We can't just keep warning everybody. We can't just keep saying, oh, warning, warning, warning. We got to show people how to enter into the experience of true justification by faith. And this is why, brothers and sisters, now I understand like never before. This is why we are told one interest will prevail. One subject will swallow up all others. Christ, our righteousness. Righteousness this is life eternal that they might know Thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent this is what Christ wants us to. this is what needs to swallow up everything else this is what we got to bring before the people and the question is have we been doing that when we've been sounding the alarm of the third angel we got to bring them to this experience this is why brothers and sisters the prophet of God she says it clear several have written to me inquiring if the message of what justification by faith is the third angel's message and I have answered it is the third angel's message in verity evangelism 190. That's the reason why. Because now we understand justification by faith a little bit better especially in contrast to the false agitations that are being pressed right now before the world at large. Somebody says but wait a minute just one more time what is justification by faith? Well I'll give it to you in a picture. As a woman. She is a whore. She's a whore. Harlot. Giving her body to men. Unworthy, filthy, ungodly men. But the one thing that was amazing about this woman, living in this life of sin, is this woman loved to hear Jesus. Every time Christ came around, while everybody else would probably do other things, she knew she was a slave to sin. She wanted to be free, but she didn't know how. But Jesus would always come with these incredible messages of salvation, and she would just sit there, and she would listen, and she would listen, and she would listen. Nobody knew of the conversion experiences that was happening in her heart. All they could do was judge what they saw from the outside. But this sister kept hearing Christ. And kept hearing Christ. And kept hearing Christ. And one day it gets to a point that she had heard so much about Christ. That Jesus ends up at a man named Simon's house. And Jesus is at Simon's house. And Jesus is there. And he's around all the people. And the people are around him. Some people are there because they just love being around the master. Some people are there because they want to entrap him. But bursting through the crowd of all these people comes this woman. Mary comes along, and she loses all sight of everybody else. You know, sometimes we get so reserved, we don't even know how to praise God. We don't even know how to thank the Lord. As soon as somebody says hallelujah, we say, oh, we're turning into Babylon. No, brothers and sisters. Maybe you just don't have an experience, and maybe your religion is dry. But maybe there's people out there that listen, they're saying, look, I have a real experience with Christ, and I want to say hallelujah. I want to say thank you, Jesus. And I want to praise God for his goodness towards me because I know what he saved me from. This woman lost all sight of everybody else. She didn't care who was looking at her. She didn't care what was going on around her. And that sister took that alabaster box, broke it open. Let the scent go ahead and spread through the room. Mary took those oils and anointed Jesus. Began to weep that her tears are just pouring down her face and falling upon the feet of the master. Mary loses so much sight of herself that she takes the very thing that the Bible identifies as a woman's glory, her hair. And she takes it not on his feet covered in shoes like yours and mine, with socks under it and a nice covering. But she takes his feet covered up in all that dust. Maybe we can better term it even filth. And she takes her hair, her glory, and she lays that thing in the dust at the foot of Jesus. And somebody says, what is justification by faith? You know, what justification by faith is what is justification by faith? It is the work of God in laying the glory of man in the dust and doing for man that which it is not in his power to do for himself testimonies to ministers and gospel workers 456 Brothers and sisters This is the great work that Christ says he has encased in the third angel He wants us to unlock the box and let it out He wants the fragrance of this truth to spread all throughout every single person that we come around to let a man and a woman know how they actually can be made in right standing with God without trying to be saved by merits Or saved in lawlessness. But giving them the real picture. Of justification by faith. And this is what God has entrusted us. To give to the world. And if ever there was a time to preach this truth. We have seen prophetically. It's right now. Should we minimize the warning? No. But should we more greatly lift up the experience? Yes brothers and sisters. Yes. Yes. How many of us understood the message today? My brothers and my sisters. Time is almost finished. The third angel's message is under attack. Because the essence of the third angel's message is justification by faith. And now, like never before, publicly, it is being attacked. And you know what God wants? A counterattack. God wants us To tell the world the truth of how a man and how a woman is made right with God. And when we give it, we will give it in the balance of sola scriptura and sola fide. Then we will help them see the Bible and the Bible alone. By faith alone. But faith always produces works because it's based on our love for God. And so it is that if you know I've been void of this experience myself, you're telling me, Brother Lemon, I need to go ahead and give this and help people understand this experience. And here it is. I don't even have this experience myself. I don't have peace. I'm serious. Some some of you brothers and sisters and some of us. We can become so perplexed. We don't trust God. We don't believe that he can handle our situations. We believe he can't handle his church, so we got to help him out we constantly don't trust him and we don't believe that he has these things locked in and under control and all, what he wants us to do is play our part he says you just do your job faithfully what I'm telling you to do but God says I'm on my job I'm doing the work that I'm going to do because no matter who you want saved God says magnify times infinity and that's how much I want him saved and so it is that if you know that you have more perplexity than peace within your heart and you still don't know what it means to rest you don't know what it means to rest in Jesus. The life of one who abides in Christ is a life of restfulness. And if you can honestly say, I don't have that rest. I don't have that peace. But I really want it. Then Jesus says, you just need to come back to Calvary. And you need to study it a little closer. You need to understand how that same light of Calvary reflects even from. The most holy place. And if you know you don't have that experience, but you're saying, Lord, I need that experience again tonight. This is something that maybe not everybody will stand. But there's some of us that very well need to stand. If you know I don't have that peace with God, I know I don't have it. I know what goes on in my head every day. I know what goes on in my heart every day. And if you know I don't have this peace. And you really want it. And you're going to covenant with God that I'm going to study this thing. And by God's grace, I want to enter into this experience like never before. I want to invite you to stand to your feet. I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you because we need to know how to have this experience in these closing scenes of Earth's history. And oh, my brothers and my sisters, it does bring rest. The life of one who abides in Christ is a life of restfulness. May God give us his rest. May we enter into it. And by his grace, let nothing steal it from our hearts. I'm going to go to my knees to pray. And if you'd like to, you can join with me as we close in prayer. Father in heaven, we truly praise you and thank you, Lord. You have taught us wonderful things from your word. And we truly thank you, dear God, that you again have reminded us and have availed to us A means by which we can have peace that passes all understanding. And it comes through the merits of thy son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray, please do something special in our hearts. Help us to understand the answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? And Lord, as we receive the assurance of salvation, then it is so much easier to give it to others. Please forgive us for not trusting you. Please forgive us for the times where we thought to help you out. Lord, help us to play our part faithfully and to rest in your promises. And truly, Lord, help us to experience victory even over our perplexities, our trials, and ultimately our sins. We thank you so much for the merits of thy son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can trust in him to do for us what we could never, ever have accomplished for ourselves. Keep us faithful, we pray, to this end. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: This message is produced by PTH Ministries. Our mission is to spread the three angels' messages through preaching and teaching the Seventh-day Adventist message and to integrate healing through medical missionary work in declaring the gospel. For more information on our ministry and the resources we provide, please log on to our website at www.pthministries.com. That's www.pthministries.com. Or you can call us at 770-274-9537. That's 770-274-9537. May we do our part to meet the needs of humanity through the everlasting gospel and hasten Christ's return. Maranatha.